HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers. And today we're interviewing a young farmer down in Haiti. Uh, Dr. Sasha Kramer studies organic agriculture and has uh, pursued a life of service in the form of ecological sanitation. Hello, Sasha. Hello there. How are you doing down there? How's your weather? I, I am doing all right. I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you, but I can I can mostly make out what you're saying, and I hope you can possibly hear me better than I can hear you. But uh, we're doing we're doing fine down here. I mean, it's it's very hot. It turned into summer in early April here. It would seem so. So we're just uh, enjoying a little bit of afternoon breeze, and it's very nice to talk with you. Um. Good. So tell me a little bit, if you wouldn't mind, about your organization, when it started and its main goals, and then we'll, we can go from there. Sure. I actually, I really like that you introduced me as a young farmer, and I think I, I maybe, I haven't, I haven't been introduced like that before, but I really liked it, and I think it really speaks to one of the, the main goals of what we do, which is creating soil for farming. So our organization was founded in 2006, and I've been living and working in Haiti since that time. And the goal of our organization is to really take things that are considered waste and transform them into resources. And the main way that we do that is by taking human waste and through a, a composting site, we thermophilically compost those wastes, wastes and we turn them into really nice soil that then gets distributed and sold to farmers around Haiti. So we try to take something that's a problem and making people sick and 
turn it into a solution to a lot of problems such as malnutrition and, and deforestation and and so that's what we do. We basically we farm soil and we we farm it using human waste. Um let's this is such a wonderful project, and people who make soil are, of course, the angels of the world. Um, what is what informed your design of this project? How did you approach? How did you initially approach um, your work in Haiti, and, and and what insights led you to design your your program like this? Well, I actually, I personally, I, I first came to Haiti. I grew up in between California and New York State, and I, I first came to Haiti in 2004 as a human rights observer, and there had just been a, a coup in the country, and so I, I came to just learn more about what was happening at that, that volatile time, and while I was here, I really, it struck me that the most pervasive human rights abuse in Haiti, and in much of the world, really, is poverty. And the fact that people don't have access to the, the basic needs that they have to live. So one of these that really jumped out at me was sanitation because I, for the first time in my life, I found myself in a place where often when I needed a toilet, there wasn't one. And I realized that so many of us who grew up with access to sanitation take it very much for granted. And it's really when you don't have access to a toilet that you realize how important it is for mostly, I mean, for your health, certainly, but mostly and most immediately in terms of dignity and just that, that feeling of having privacy to, to use the bathroom. So in sort of thinking about how to combine my, my human rights work with my interest in sanitation and also the, the work that I had previously done studying ecology and thinking about nutrient cycles, it all sort of came together in this idea of, of taking human waste and actually providing toilets that would then not just provide a toilet, but also help to build soils that could be used for all kinds of other environmental and agricultural initiatives. And this was by no means my idea. I mean, I certainly... I, this is an idea that nature has practiced always um, and certainly something that humans have practiced for thousands of years. But I think that recently a lot of, you know, we sort of strayed away from it with the plush toilets and modernization of sanitation. And I think that now with the world facing so many challenges in agriculture in terms of lack of nutrients for crop growth, there's been a lot of focus put back on recycling nutrients that we ourselves are eating when we eat those crops that we harvest. And so I, I had sort of read a lot about different projects happening in the world, and I, I visited some projects in Malawi and South Africa, and I dialogued a lot with all of the Haitian colleagues that I have here, and and it was sort of out of all of that, that tremendous work that's happening all around the world, and, and through the, the example of nature that this project sort of came together and was born. So that was the, the story of how it started. So you're a, a woman-run alternative development project. I don't know if that's, I hope that that's the 
fair characterization. And working in a country that's had a lot of uh, development projects go on in a region that has suffered tremendous disruption from weather and um, trade, the uh, impacts of uh, global trade, I wonder if you could reflect a little bit about as a, you know, as a young farmer, or at least someone who is trained in, in agriculture, um, how the self-determination of a project that's designed like yours is can support the initiatives of the Haitians themselves, and and how like how you might counsel young people who are interested to be a part of fixing problems, how they could approach and evaluate development initiatives that they might be interested in um, along those lines of uh, self-determination and autonomy for the for the people themselves. Okay. Well, I think that that's a, a great question and a really a sort of a vast question, and I hope that I, I do an all right job of, of, of teasing out the, the important parts. I mean, I think that in terms of self-determination, actually, one one question that we get a lot is, you know, are people uncomfortable with the idea of using composted human waste in agriculture? And I often respond that, that I think that one of the things that has made this project more acceptable to people is the very fierce sense of independence and self-determination that's very charismatic of, of Haitians. I mean, ever, this is a country that was born of a of revolution, and it's a, a spirit that is very strong in people here. So I think that one of the things that people get really excited about with the ecological sanitation is the idea that we, as humans, are, are producing valuable resources through our waste. And if we can recycle those and harvest those for use to grow our own food, then it means that we don't have to buy those nutrients from from the big ag companies that sell them. And so I think Haitians really like the idea of not having to import fertilizer from the U.S. when, when right here in Haiti we could be producing valuable organic fertilizer. So I think that that's been a real sort of strong point in, in promoting this technology and, and getting people excited about it. And and I think that for young farmers everywhere, I mean, it's really to be beholden to large companies that supply you with things that you need is a very fragile and dangerous situation to be in. So I think that for all young farmers, wherever we can find ways to recycle what we already have and are already using, that helps get us farther along the path towards independence and really being able to have that self-determination to grow your own food and to not rely on global corporations to make sure that you're able to do that. Um, so a little bit off topic, but last week um, many people who are impressed with what men work um, he started the Granada Chocolate Company. His name is Mott Green. And he had a, a very strong project going in Grenada. I wonder if you could uh, reflect on on his work and in the kind of a community of practice of uh, kind of island agriculture and alternative island agriculture, other networks 
that you would suggest people plug into to either support his project that it keeps going without him um, or other projects that, um, that, that need brains and bodies to come and contribute to, um, to their success? I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I'm afraid that it's really, really hard for me to hear you. So I can only hear parts, which means that I miss the name of the project that you're referring to. Um, it's called the Granada Chocolate Company, and his name was Mott Green. Okay. Did that ring any bells? I I'm afraid not. I think that I've probably in the in the six years that I've been living here, I've probably fallen very behind in a, a lot of what's happening elsewhere in the world. So it's not surprising for me not to have heard of something. Um, but it does sound exciting, and I'll certainly look it up immediately after I get off the phone with you. But I, I don't want, you know, I think that one of the things that has been difficult about working in agriculture in Haiti is that it seems that a lot of those networks don't really extend to Haiti. So I think that Haiti, and probably this happens to other Caribbean islands as well, and you are talking about different island types of agriculture, but I, I feel like often... The Caribbean is sort of left out of larger networks, so there'll be a Latin American network and a North American network and African, and, and very often the Caribbean is overlooked. So I, I often feel that many of those wonderful networks that are out there for farmers don't necessarily make it to Haiti. And some of that is, is probably because they don't make it here, and some of it is probably my own my own lack of knowledge about everything that's going on. But I, I would say that I, I don't have any good examples off the top of my head that I could provide you with that have really influenced our work here. Wow. You are brave. Uh, I, I wondered if you could reflect a little bit on what it's been like. I mean, I'm, I also have started and been running an organization, but not quite as long as you, and I know that it's a huge challenge, um, but clearly you're still at it, and I wonder, uh, I wonder why, and I wonder to what you, do you attribute your, your success? Well, I, uh, I've actually been thinking about it a lot lately. What is it that, that sort of keeps us going in this, and, and what keeps me personally going? And I think that... I mean, I, I think that it's partially the, the drive to really leave something sustainable behind. So I feel like so many projects, and particularly those that, that I've seen in Haiti that have been carried out by international groups, are very much a sort of drop-in, drop-out, come in and build something, leave it there, and then you can see sort of the skeletons of these projects all over the country. And so I think probably the, the sort of primary driver of, of sticking with it is really the, the desire to not fall into that, that same old situation where we've used a lot of resources and a lot of time and, and worked with a lot of amazing people. And to have that all fall apart would, would feel almost like it wasn't worth the effort in the beginning. And so... We're really working right now on trying to develop sustainable business models for how people can create livelihoods out of ecological sanitation. So 
how can people create a, a, a small business that provides household sanitation services or a business that sells compost or how can farmers start to increase their yields through the use of the compost. And so really our focus is on that now so that hopefully in five years there won't be a need for soil to be doing this work in Haiti anymore because it will have been demonstrated that it can generate livelihoods and people who are naturally entrepreneurial will step in to fill the roles that we've been playing but I think that the, the sort of research that it takes to set something like that up just takes a really long time. So we're in it for the long haul. And I think that personally what, what really keeps me going is the, the love and respect that I have for my colleagues. Um, I was thinking that today I came back to the office. I'd been out in the field all morning, and I came back, and we have 30 – 30 staff in, in Port-au-Prince, and everybody came to the office to get their pictures taken by the Social Security Department here. But it was one of the first times we had everyone in the office at the same time, and it just it felt so amazing to come back to this group of such dedicated, passionate people that really... Every evening I may feel like giving up, and then every morning I come in and I see everyone, and it's a country. I was thinking one of the things I love about Haiti is that people are so warm, and it's a country where you kiss everyone hello and you kiss everyone goodbye, and it's not one of those fake air kisses. It's like a real snack on the cheek, and, and I just I love that. I love that I live in a country where people are so openly warm, and I love that I work with a group of people who are so passionate and dedicated to what we do. So that's what keeps me going. Well, I'm sure it's sure wonderful having role models like you for people to see what is possible to do with one's life, even if the world sometimes feels very impossible. And I um, I thought maybe you could describe just just for one minute more, um, in the course of your program, how have you, how small did you start, and how how quickly did you scale? And um, so that people can see what that impact uh, might be, even if it's something that starts really small. Sure. I mean, I, I think that, well, we started very small, and we were very, so when we started in 2006, we had maybe five of us. I believe it was, there were myself and the co-founder, another young American woman, Sarah Brandow, who's an engineer. And then three or four of our of our Haitian colleagues, um, and so the the six of us sort of plodded along for years and years without really any funding. And and I actually I think it was really nice because starting off small means that you have a chance to try something new and to make mistakes. But the mistakes that you make are fixable because they're on a very small scale. Whereas if you start off big, there's all this pressure to do big things. And if your ideas are new and you do them big to begin with, you're very likely to make mistakes that will happen on a much larger scale and be very hard to fix. So I'm really glad we started off as small as we did. And now we're an organization of about close to 70 people. Um, we have five American staff, one Dutchman, and uh, 
64 Haitian employees between Cap Haitian and Port-au-Prince. So we're a, we're a huge team and, well, huge enough. I think that that's as big as we want to get. And now we're really focusing not on expanding the size of our team or even expanding the the scale of our projects, but really diving into the quality of the work we're doing and trying to trying to be a model and in that way create a model that's replicable that can then be copied by others and that's the way that it would go to scale. So I think that, you know, there are two ways of going to scale. One is to sort of do it yourself and, and get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and make more and more of an impact in that way. And the other is to do your thing and do it well. And if you do that, then others can learn from your mistakes and your successes and can replicate those successes. And that's another way of going to scale that I actually really recommend because it, because it doesn't mean that you have to do everything yourself. And it also means that it gets done better because none of us are able to to carry a huge project like that. No organization is able to to address a social problem on their own. So I think that the power of example is really quite formidable, and I, I recommend that that people who are trying to make a difference really focus on creating a quality example at whatever scale is appropriate for them. Wow. I, I Wow. I think that's a beautiful. I think that's a beautiful place to end. I want to make sure um, to mention to folks um, some resources that they could tap into if they're interested in um, alternative development models. We have a little list of those on our website at thegreenhorns.net, and some of the work that's been done internationally in restorative agriculture. Um, the Greenhorns has another uh, event coming up in June, the Young Farmers Mixer at the Green Hall in Keysville, New York. We have a farm hack coming up in Barton, Vermont at the Animal Powered Field Days, another farm hack in November at UC Davis, um, a lot of events in the Hudson Valley this summer and fall. So I hope that everyone is on the list and joining us for more in-person getting-together motivational moments. And I thank you, Sasha, so much for being yourself and doing your work so well. Um, do you accept interns? Uh, we do sometimes. I mean, we we find that it works best when we get an intern who has a specific project in mind or who can contribute to the work that we have ongoing, but we are open to that. And anyone who's interested in reaching out to us can contact us at info at our soil, O-U-R-S-O-I-L dot org. Thank you very much, Sasha. Thank you all for listening, and hopefully we'll all continue to make, uh, to make more waste and more food and more soil uh, in whichever way we can. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.